Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show where we talk about the stuff we've watched since the last time we did one of these. My name is David. I'm Tyler. And let's get to it because we have a guest coming. Yeah. Uh, we got to get, we got a heart out. Mm-hmm. Uh, first thing I, I'll, I've decided I'll start, oh, I think, because right. I have more movies to talk about. I have one more movie than you do. Okay. I'll just be over here. So it makes sense for me to start. Okay. Uh, this, uh, this past Sunday marked the kickoff of next fest, which is the Sundance sister festival here in Los Angeles where they essentially show stuff that played at Sundance that's coming out soon. Mm-hmm. And then they have, it's a, it's, it's, it's not a strict festival like other ones where it's like, like I think next fest isn't comprised entirely of six movies. Mm-hmm. That's all that it is. But like each one is an event. Um, the one I saw that I'm about to talk about was the cement, uh, uh, at the Hollywood forever cemetery. Outdoor oh, okay. screening. And then the rest of them are all this coming weekend at the ACE, uh, the theater at the ACE hotel downtown. And okay. each one of them is a movie with a concert afterwards. So it's like, again, it's more of an event it's thing. Fa- it's not yeah, like yeah. a standard like festival where you're going to yeah. discover stuff. There's a lot of stuff you've probably heard buzz about. In yes. fact, one of the ones that's playing, um, tomorrow night, probably tonight, if you're listening to this, uh, when it goes up, um, is mistress America, which I've already oh, seen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm not going to go see that again. But um, so the first one I saw at the at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery is the John Watts film Cop Car. Yeah, I want uh, I wanted to ask you first, how did because I think last week either I forget if it was on the mic or not, but uh, it was off mic. I know what you're going to say, I think about it being at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Like, was it like one of those standard screenings or were people quiet and were they were they were there to see the movie? People were much more there to see the movie. Okay. It still had a bit of a party atmosphere because there was something I've never seen at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery before. There was free beer because it was oh, okay. sponsored by Stella. Hmm. Um, they were doing very light pours, like not very good, like a lot of head on okay, the beer. Got it. But you know, uh, and there was also some free food. There were free popcorn from Acura. You had to sign up for their mailing list or tell them what you think about cars or something. Um, and get some uh, free popcorn. I'm in favor of them. Yeah, I'd say for the most part. And then there was a place. Uh, again, I know you have your your palate being what it is, you wouldn't have liked this, but a place, uh, uh, a local, I guess, chain called the shop house, not chop house, mm, but the shop house. Okay. Um, and it's sort of a, I guess an Asian like bowl inspired type of, oh, okay. uh, thing. And they were like Yoshinoya, up, uh, sort of, but like, uh, I think a little bit higher, not fancy, but like nicer ingredients and stuff. Are you saying um, the Yoshinoya is not fancy? Yeah, I've been to Yoshinoya once and I hated it. Um, and that's something like as a guy who eats a lot of fast food, it takes something for me to be like, I'm <laughs> done with that place. Um, but, uh, yeah, I got some free food. I'm getting hungry now. I just thinking about it. Uh, anyway, but yeah, the, the, the audience was there to see the movie. It was, it was a little less packed. Okay. It was, it was essentially like, it was filled as much as those actually should be as opposed to being mm. completely overcrammed. People are way off to the side or people are crammed way in right. where you've got someone set it on their blanket and then like four carloads of their friends showed up and they're all crammed together on a blanket, like one blanket with their, with their wine and, and, and whatever. Uh, it was, yeah, it was more room to stretch out. It was a, it was a very nice atmosphere. The movie itself was fine. Um, it's, is it pulpy? It feels like I yeah, watched it, the trailer and well, it looked like it could be fun. I think, and I, I think you saw what I said on Twitter about mm-hmm. it, which is if you loved blue ruin, yeah. you'll like cop car. <laughs> yeah. And that's, so it's essentially, it's in that, that vein where it has a, it has a very, uh, lean and 
clever structure where there's a very clear cause and effect and one yeah. th- you know each decision that everyone makes leads to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and it's sort of always being heightened while the tone is still very sort of straightforward and determined you know what yeah. i mean um and it has a dark comedy to it the same okay. way the blue ruin did and so i like all the, all of that but it just feels about half uh, half cooked okay. it's about half it's half baked i guess it feels like it's a chase film essentially where they're not chasing to anywhere and that sort of feels like uh oh. it, it feels, that's what i said in my review it's kind of a metaphor for the screenplay itself where yeah. it because it, it just sort of ends at a certain point as well um is there it's the the story for the i, I should say the story for those who don't know it's being it seems like it's being advertised as the new kevin bacon movie um and he is i guess the main villain but he's not the star of the movie yeah uh, it's about two kids uh probably about 10 or 11 or whatever i'm I don't know. Maybe they're four. I, I'm so bad at kids, kids' ages. Um, do you, do you find yourself instinctively when you see a dynamic like that? It's t- it's two children. They're running away from an adult. Do you instinctively think of either or both? Night of the Hunter, Night of the Hunter. and Undertow. Oh, an undertow. Yeah. I mean, it definitely has sort of an undertow feel. But it's basically these two kids. They have run away from home to begin with. Okay. And they find in the middle of a field next to a wooded area a cop car with mm-hmm. the keys in it. So they decide being, you know, adventurous little shits. Yeah. Yeah. They decide to steal the car. And, uh, the director, John Watts, who by the way is the, has already been, uh, picked to do the next Spider-Man movie. So he's following that, that trend of indie directors getting promoted to superhero franchise movies. Uh, well, and even with like Mark Webb, while I didn't love 500 days of summer, there are sequences in it that are bigger and, and very ambitious. And whereas cop car seems very, as you said, lean. Yeah. It, it seems like an odd, and maybe choice. that's going to make for a good Spider-Man. Movie, That'd be actually. great. I would love uh, that. If it's not a bunch of bombast. Um, so these two kids find uh, a cop car and they drive away with it. And then we find out why there was no cop in the cop car. He was in the woods doing something nefarious. Mm. Turns out he's not a good cop. No. Uh, Kevin Bacon's character. He's a bad cop. So then he has to try and get his car back while trying to not trying to keep his police force in right. the dark about the fact that his car was stolen and it was where it was in the first place. Cause what he was doing was not legal uh, mm. or on the book. So, uh, it's, again, it's about 85 minutes. It, um, yeah. as it, should it has, um, uh, a couple of uh, uh, again the kids are the protagonist kevin bacon's the bad guy but it also has uh two small parts for cameron manheim and shea wiggum hmm. uh so that's shea wiggum always uh, yeah. welcome presence yeah uh so yeah it's uh, it's an enjoyable movie i kind of feel i kind of have this feeling like you'll be happier if you wait till it's on Redbox or netflix yeah <laughs> they've got like and some movies be, are just i feel like meant yeah. for that yeah um they just there's there's a different kind of intimacy when it's just in your house and right. uh, smaller movies like that I think it benefits. Um, okay, uh, so before I mention my first one, it occurred to me that uh, while I only have three movies to talk about, I do have four things to say. Okay. Uh, oh, that's right. We have yes. something to announce. Indeed, uh, and we've t- we've talked about See, already. We, we hooked you in. You thought you could skip past the announcements? Yeah, no, that's <laughs> right. We just, just lay them in there. Um, so yeah, uh, as we mentioned a couple weeks ago, but it uh, slipped our minds to mention last week. Uh, we are now into uh, August, which means that we are uh, smack dab in the middle of uh, listener generated list uh, month. 
<laughs> all right. It's all, it always winds up being August. Yeah. Um, and so uh, this or month... The voting always ends up being August. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, and so the uh, this year, uh, we are talking, uh, we are putting together a list of the 50 best movie scores of all time. Now, these are original scores. Right. All right. And this includes, this is something actually um, Scott and I and I were talking about the other day before okay. when we were um, waiting for you. <laughs> you got waylaid. Yes. Um, uh, he, he wanted clarification. Musicals that are written for the movie itself that are not an adaptation. That is fine. Those count. Those count. Okay. He, uh, I think he, he brought up the young girls of Russia Fort and whether or not sure. that uh, counted. But uh, so that does count. Yeah. Uh, South Park, bigger, longer and uncut. Right. Uh, a hard day's night. One from Dancer the heart, the one dark. from the heart dancer yeah. in the dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, there's plenty. And that's, and all of those are fine. Like lyrics are fine as long as it's written right. for the film. Um, so yeah, uh, original scores and, uh, don't feel like this is something that I have noticed already with some of the submissions. Um, and if you want to do this, great. If you don't, that's fine too, which is don't feel like you need to only where you have to say like, okay, well, I've got my John Williams for the list. You know what I mean? Like the way that people, some people I've gotten emails and they said like, well, you know, I didn't want to put more than one John Williams on the list. I get, but that. if you want to, I get it. But yeah, but if you but want it is to, not a then rule. go ahead. Yes, you can do. Yeah. I recently submitted a list to, uh, our friend Mariah E. Gates is doing mm-hmm. a, a similar thing about, um, essential female directed films. And I did hold myself to a one per director, uh, thing. Was because, it Catherine Bigelow that would have uh, thrown you off? Uh, there were a few. Okay. It was, yeah, Catherine Bigelow, I put Point Break, but I could have easily put Blue Steel and Zero Dark Thirty yeah. and The Hurt Locker. Yeah. And then uh, with Amy Heckling, I went with Clueless, but I, okay. you know, Fast Times is right up there. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, there were there were uh, a number of them. But um, what was the what was the uh, the heading again? These are the most essential essential films uh, directed by women. Essential films directed by women. Yeah. Okay. And I so did like, not include. T- okay, tell me if I was right in doing this because okay. these are films. Right. So I did not include, even though I think it's one of the greatest things of all time, the music video for 1979, co-directed by Valerie Ferris. I I thought about including it, but I didn't think that a music video yeah, I uh, get it. would count. It's one of the most visually striking things <laughs> yeah. of our generation. And I also wanted to, um, again, this is a TV episode, but um, Mimi Letter did an ep- uh, probably the best ever episode of ER hmm. called Love's Labor's Lost. It didn't, didn't include it. And Mimi Letter didn't make my list. Hmm. I'm not a big Deep Impact fan. Um, Fair enough. Can't anyway. argue with that. But this isn't about this. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a different thing. And so... Um, so yeah, however you want to do this, that's that's fine. Uh, please do remember. And I've got I've gotten questions I did not anticipate. Um, one is does the does the score have to have been used for the film? Now that may seem now that seems strange, but every once in a while there is like a complete alternate score that's wonderful, but it wasn't used in the official film. Oh, and so, so what's the verdict on that? It it needs to be used in the film. Like okay. You know, I, much as I hate to say it, uh, because, you know, you get somebody like Jerry Goldsmith with like some of his alternate tracks for alien. Um, you can, st- since so much of his, of his music and the majority of it being original for alien, you can still do that. Um, but you, you can't specify alternate tracks right. for alien. So, um, and then somebody brought up a couple others, but I can't remember them, but, um, yeah. So, uh, so what you'll do is you'll email me 
Tyler at BattleshipPretension.com. You will send in 10 submissions. You can put them in order if you want. I'm not going to count that. I don't care. All right? <laughs> because that takes way too much time to, right. uh, to organize. Um, but you're, you're going to send in the 10 scores that you think absolutely belong on this list. Right. This is something we deal with every time. Yeah. Don't don't try to be too clever. Don't like right. try to think like, well, obviously everyone's going to pick this because if enough people pick it, yeah. you end up with deserving winners yes. being weighed low on the list. Yes. So yeah, don't try to be too clever. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of those things that, uh, just, just like, uh, this sounds strange just to be honest with yourself Yeah. and just is the, is this a score that you think belongs on the list? Then include it. And it's tough. I'll say this. When I when I did my initial submissions, it was a uh, 37. Uh-huh. So I had to cut that down. <laughs> yeah. um, and it was uh, it was tough. So, um, yeah. So send that to me by the end of the month. And um, and yeah, we will be revealing the finalized list uh, over the course of the first half of September, okay. culminating in an episode in which we will reveal the uh, top 10. With our friend, with uh, resident, resident musicologist, musicologist West Anthony. Anthony. Now, what's first on your list uh, uh, for the movie journal today? It is a rewatch. It's and a how are you enjoying your new phone? You got a case for it now. You didn't yes. have that last week. Oh, I have a case with the uh, with a, a triangle with a circle inside and a line. Yeah, it's a, listeners, it's what, Illum- what what? It's an Illuminati thing. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so. Uh, yeah, this was a rewatch. Um, this is a movie that is available on YouTube, but and I think at the moment only on YouTube, but from what it sounds like, they may pull that and uh, release it in a different way sometime in the future. Okay. And this is uh, it's a movie by a friend of the show, but I was with uh, two, two of my friends, and we happened to be discussing comedy uh-huh. and oh. the idea of things being appropriate or inappropriate or whatever. And so... Um, so we were trying to figure out, well, what movie were we going to watch? We were just hanging out at my place. And I said, well, apropos of our conversation, there is a documentary called That's Not Funny, directed by Mike Celestino, um, a movie that I have loved from the moment I saw it. And uh, so we threw that in, and um, I've seen it. I think it's, that's probably the third time I've seen it. I love it every time. It's, it's such an interesting um, approach to the material. And when he was raising money when he was on our show a couple years ago, raising money for it, he had a completely different vision for what it was going to be. It was going to be, you know, a lot of comedians, talking heads, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of comedians talking about it. And then I think wisely he sidestepped that and went a different route with it. And it was, it's more personal, but also it provides historical context and uh, cultural context. And I think it's very, very important. and, And I feel like if people, if you watch it, you may not agree with everything he says. I don't think I agree with everything he says, but by and large, I feel like he is adopting very much the right attitude. One that is, I'd say pro free speech, pro art and pro, uh, discussion as opposed to stop saying what you're saying, <laughs> right? Which is, you know, I think, uh, uh, I'm not, I don't know if I'd say that's a thing that shows up a lot these days in uh, culture, but I feel like it's, uh, there's always the possibility of that. So anyway, uh, and you can, so you can find the full documentary on YouTube. Just type in that's not funny documentary. And hopefully that'll take you there. It's absolutely, it's 90 minutes long. It's absolutely worth a watch. So type that in and cross your fingers. Yeah. And you know what, if it doesn't pop up, then uh, I'm out of, I'm out of ideas. <laughs> the director's name is Mike Celestino. I imagine that will help you that w- in your, 
I don't think uh, so. <laughs> in your attempts to YouTube. All right. I saw a movie. Okay. I don't know what you know about it, or uh, I, I, well, I know that you share with me a trepidation, and maybe you even have it more than I do, for first directorial debuts by actors. Yes, uh, I, more than you, I think. Yes. So I saw a film called The Gift, directed by Joel Edgerton. Yeah, which I'm. I was excited getting great about. reviews. Okay, I think I'm in the minority. Okay, because I well I know I am. Well, I look at the reviews and I know that as a critic I'm in the minority. I didn't think it was very good overall. It's not dreadful and it, it does not. I don't think. I'd love to get your opinion. It doesn't suffer from the things you are talking about. That did you worry about? Okay. Uh, well, what are those things? Well, the thing that always gets me is that not that I need a story, but movies directed by actors tend to be very character heavy, which oh, okay. is fine with me, but also it's just, there tends not to be a lot of stylistic flair, but I think by the very nature of the gift, gift being a thriller, yeah, it's I a feel horror like thriller already. It's a, that's exciting. Yeah, genre movie. It looked a bit histrionic, um, uh, from the see, trailer. I, I actually, I think that's a good trailer. I watched the trailer. I, saw the movie. I think it's a good trailer. Um, but, uh, no, I think, the stuff that you're, I think, responding to is actually the best part of the movie. Um, when it uses the thriller, horror thriller uh, formula mm-hmm. to actually become more about the characters. Um, because I'm, I'm not opposed to these movies being about yeah. characters, and, but I feel like if you use other things to reveal that, then we're in good shape. Because the best part of the movie is, this, and the, 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 my main problem with it is that it takes so long going through all these really familiar notes mm-hmm. and and being very obvious in its foreshadowing to get to the part where it's good that's what, and then it and then i also don't like the ending i think i feel like it returns to being a sort of cheap thriller yeah. and sort of sacrifices what it had built when it grew out of that mm-hmm. um but the best thing that happens is that joel edgerton's character who is i guess see this is part of the, what's interesting it's hard to say he's the villain he's like the antagonist, I guess, yeah. to the main characters. Yeah. But he's a, in many ways is a pretty sympathetic guy. Yeah. Um, but there's a whole, a long section where he disappears from the movie. And it's just about this couple played by Jason Bateman and Rebecca Hall sort of processing and going and, and dealing with what he's stoked in the first hour of the movie. Yeah. And that's, it's a, it's really cool because you, without, without the main antagonist gone, you sort of start to see one of them, one of the main, one of the couple as the protagonist and one of the other, and the other one as the villain. Hmm. Um, and that's, it's really interesting, but it's, that's such a, it's such a, it's a relatively small part of the movie, unfortunately. And it takes way too long to get to it where there's just, there really is an hour where I feel like I under, I know exactly. I could tell you what the, at any point I could tell you what the next two or three scenes are going to be because it's so by the numbers, you know, there's a whole part where like Rebecca Hall comes home from a, from a, a jog and we just see her react to something and have to wait until the next scene when Simon, when Jason Bateman's character gets home to find out what she's reacting to. But if you've seen a movie before, you know, yeah, like he's like, yeah, I know. All right, let's just get, let's get to, yeah, there's a, there's a rabbit hung from the ceiling. Of the it's porch, that sort of thing. Obviously. Yeah. Um, Oh really? Something it, like that? Yeah, it is very similar oh, to that. Wow. Okay. Um, but, uh, it, it, so I, you, I think would you say it's cape fear-esque and i'll say the scorsese version <laughs> uh no no it's not like that at all. okay it's definitely more 
of the sort of modern, like sleek, desaturated type oh, of right. uh, thing, which is it, it, it looks fine. It's it's edited well. Uh, the the performance, all three main performances are fantastic. Okay. I have to say. Um, one thing I'll say without giving too much away, um, we don't like Jason Bateman. Generally, plays nice guys. Yeah. Even in like Juno, it's not revealed till the end or much later in the movie that he's not a nice guy. And even then, he's not a nice guy. He's just kind of a douche, I guess. Yeah, he's just at the to be generous. I'd say he's very misguided um, and immature. Yeah. Um, well, in this movie, Jason Bateman plays an arrogant asshole. Yeah, <laughs> and it's not a role we get to see him play very much, and he does it so well. Oh, I don't doubt it. He, and he's not do like as likable a guy as Jason Bateman is. There's something like I have a problem. I, I've had problems with Miles Teller before this Esquire interview. <laughs> um, have you read about this? Where he's like talking about his dick to the waitress and then like makes a rape joke to the female interviewer. Whoa. Like not a joke about him raping her, but like, it's just, well, like, that's good. He, yeah, he comes across very poorly. Um, anyway, that's not the point. Uh, but sort of like I had a problem with Miles Teller's performance in whiplash where I felt like, yeah, because he's, a charismatic actor, I get the impression that he's a, like asking you to apologize or, or asking you to forgive his, the character, the actor is asking you to forgive the character's mm-hmm. bad behavior. Do you know what I mean? I could see that. I'm not sure if I necessarily agree, but go ahead. Okay. Um, none of that with Jason Bateman. He is all in on yeah. being this guy, this guy who was like a high school bully and is now very successful. He's the opposite of the story. You always hear that yeah. bullies like peak in high school. He's a very successful guy who has yeah. continued to be successful by being an arrogant bully in his life. That's tough for an actor because you want to play this character. You want like as an actor, it's like, all right, he's an asshole. I see how he's written on uh-huh. the page. So I guess I'll just play him like an asshole. But you want to be careful that you're not judging, that your judgment of the character isn't seeping into the performance. Yeah. Because then it's like, yeah, but no one's this much of an asshole. And so, well, like, you need to temper it just right. And, well, you, the thing, see, I'm talking myself into liking the movie more, but this is really still not a big enough, there's not enough real estate given to this. What, I think because Joel Edgerton also wrote the screenplay. It's not based on anything. Yeah. Joel Edgerton wrote an original screenplay. And what he does right is having an asshole, but having him have one main redeeming thing, which is this is a guy who truly loves and cares, cares for his wife. Yeah. And that's a huge part. Even when they're, when what's going on is causing very, a lot of distance and friction between them. Um, his, he wants to hang on to his wife, not just because he's the guy who gets what he wants and that she's like a trophy, like his big house yeah. or car or job or whatever he actually loves and cares for. And that, so that, that's a very, it's, it's a really interesting character played very well by Jason Bateman. And Joel Edgerton is always watchable. Like I've, I've enjoyed where his career has gone, even in a movie like Exodus gods and Kings, which is not a good movie. I remember thinking he was I am the god. pretty good. I am the God. That's what I always like. I'm the God now, but I always liked his, um, (laughs) yeah, the God, I don't like Exodus very much, but that scene when he says, I'm the God, I like his delivery because he's he's not, yeah, he's not be like bellowing. Like I am the God. He's like, insist, like almost like he's stamping his feet. I'm the God. Yeah. It's yeah. It's, uh, that is not a movie that is very good, but I thought he was really good in it and all the scenes he needs to be. But, um, is it a movie? So I'm interested in the gift. And what you said has not necessarily dissuaded me. Would is it a movie that you feel passionately enough about 
not necessarily liking that you would well, warn me away from it. Yeah, I mean, if you've still got your movie pass, I do. Yeah, I would. There we go. Go, go see it. Yeah. It's a movie pass movie, <laughs> as Fantastic Four will be. I'm hearing terrible things, yeah. and I'm curious. Yeah. Um, all right, what's next for you? All right, here's what's next for me, and we're going to give people a peek uh, behind the curtain. This movie, uh, hey, David, this movie doesn't come out until mid-September. Can I talk okay. about it? Um, is it the one I think it is? Uh, yeah. The one we were talking about off mic. Yeah. Yeah, you can talk about it. Okay. All right. Just making sure. I, I very seldom, because I'm so used to taking screenings of like movies that come out that week, um, I, I'm not often in a situation like this. But, um, but yeah, I'll go ahead and talk about it. So yeah, um, if I cut you off at some point, we'll edit this because I'm going to check the email. Okay, please. But do. I'm almost entirely sure that you can talk about this. Okay, so I saw Edwards Wick's Pawn Sacrifice, which is about uh, Bobby Fischer in I think the uh, late '60s, early '70s, uh, and it culminates in his uh, his climactic chess match. I was going to say chess fight. That's not right. Um, with uh, Boris Spassky, who was the considered the, the greatest uh, chess player in the world at the time. And uh, anybody who knows knows that, like anybody who knows anything about Bobby Fischer, they know that he eventually will be known as the best chess player in the world. Hang on. What are we thinking? What are we looking at? It doesn't give a date. It says okay. we ask that you hold all coverage until further notice. You further know, notice? I think you should probably not talk about it. Okay. Well, you know what? How about this? I saw the movie. That's a movie I saw. I've not given a single opinion about it. How about that? Okay. All right. I think that's okay. That way we don't have to do any editing. Stay tuned. Yeah. yeah. Until that's, that's further what, notice. That says until further notice. But you have there is a release date. Uh, yes, there is. But it's like mid September. Yeah. So so yes, I saw that movie. What did I think of it? Who's to say? I'm glad I didn't tweet about it afterwards. Um, but yeah, yeah. and I'm, I so badly want to give opinions about it right now. Yes. It's very difficult. Do you find this that when someone says, hey, what have you seen lately? And you say something, do you find it hard not to just, as you talk about it, not incorporating your opinion immediately? Like, even as I'm saying this now, purposefully <laughs> trying to not say an opinion, it's very difficult yeah. for me to even not throw out a single sentence about it. It's crazy. But anyway, we can move on. Yeah, let's move on. All right. To, uh, well, I guess now I have two more and you have. I have one more. One more. Okay. So I will talk again. Um, but I am in. Uh, I, I should not have opened my email. This is the problem. I oh, opened my email to the, and now I'm like seeing an email from my boss and I'm. Oh, my gosh. Figure out. Okay. You're oh, fired. Are you fired, David? The, it might be a good idea to talk about it. All right. We can talk this tomorrow okay I'll just say sounds good <laughs> exclamation <laughs> okay uh, <laughs> um, that's one of my favorite jim gaffigan bits where he talked about being too lazy to respond to emails and he'll just look it'll be like oh three paragraphs i'll just reply sounds good and just send it <laughs> <laughs> um okay next movie i saw is something i'd been looking forward to seeing for a long time because i've been hearing about it for a long time since sundance and missed it at the L.A. Film Fest. I was at the L.A. Film Fest, Tyler, and I yeah. didn't get to see it when oh my. I was there. Um, uh, and it's Paul Weitz's new film, Grandma. Okay. Which is also, like Cop Car, also under 90 minutes. I love this. All right, yeah. If this good. is going to be like the year of the 85-minute movie, bring it on. All right. Uh, We've all got places to be. Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, I really, really enjoyed this movie. I mean, it's got a couple of... Um, you know, it's definitely the 
you know, in the, what I'm going to call the like irascible old coot genre, you know? Yeah. Crusty Boba Nine. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but I love the structure of it. Um, there's not, I mean, something to be said, just like with the gift we were talking about, like yeah. it's great to have a good structure. Yeah. And it reminded me of all things, even though it doesn't feel anything like this, it reminded me of all things of Smiley Face. Did you ever see Smiley Face, the Greg Rocky movie? I did not. Because um, in that movie, she accidentally like eats all her roommates pot brownies, I ah, think, yes. and then has to like, by a certain time, get enough money to buy pot and ingredients and buy and make new ones. Uh, it's on a Ferris, right? the whole time. Yeah. It's a very funny movie. Uh, it's, I don't like Greg Araki, but everything about that. Yeah. And um, I don't like stoner movies, but I feel like she would sell it for me. So this is, but this is, uh, I feel like comparisons to obvious child are going to be, uh, uh, obvious because it's also a mostly comedic movie. That's about abortion. Yeah. Um, Lily Tomlin plays a, a grandmother. Mm-hmm. Um, she is, I'm a, with you so far. Yeah. Um, She's uh, a lesbian. Her partner of 30 something years has died somewhat recently. Mm-hmm. The movie starts. She's kind of um, going through some shit because of it. You know, mm-hmm. she's anyway, that's not really that important, but it does end up playing into the story. Um, her granddaughter shows up one morning and says, I'm pregnant. Mm-hmm. I have an appointment at 545 today for an abortion. My so, sort of boyfriend, the dude who knocked me up, was supposed to pay for it and he flaked because he's a piece of shit. And so now I, I have until five, it's nine o'clock in the morning. I have until five forty-five to scrape together the money to pay for this abortion. Um, and so it's, and she's and Lily Tomlin's character is also completely broke. She has like $40 to her name. Okay. And so uh, that's one thing I always, I love movies that are actually about broke people. Cause it seems like so few movies are, <laughs> um, uh, or, or I guess, when they, when they are, they're very like uh, somber, I guess, or grim about it. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like precious or whatever. Which I like the movie, but like that's that you know that's not the life of every broke person all the time. Yeah. Like so, um, it's like where's the funny poverty that we, that you and I <laughs> that you us middle class guys enjoy? Right, right. Um, and um, now you might be asking, like my wife did when I told her the story why don't they just go to Planned Parenthood? Mm-hmm. This is in Los Angeles. They could, you know, she could get a free abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, and the movie sort of addresses that and not well enough, I think, um, which is kind of a problem, but it's, it's the kind of thing where like the movie around it is so good. You kind of are willing to go, Oh, that's a movie <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> to a certain extent. Like I'm willing, I, I'm often willing to suspend any disbelief, only a certain number of times in a movie, but when it's something as big as that, yeah. where it's literally like, Hey, you know, your entire premise, if you just do this one thing that yeah. we all know is possible, uh, like, I don't know, that's, that might, I don't know if I'd say it takes me out. It would take me out of it, but like that might actually take me out of something. It's, I mean, cause they it's do, like, you don't have a movie if you do this basic thing that anybody would do. Um, yeah. And I mean, I, I wonder if maybe it's supposed to be the fact that, the girl's too young and Lily Tom's character is too old to really know about that. Maybe or not even that she's too young, but maybe too uneducated. The young woman, like maybe that's supposed to be the thing, but there is like talk of a, they try to go to a clinic and it's been, ter- it, it isn't there anymore. Mm-hmm. Lily Tom's character is like, Oh, I know of a clinic and they go and it's been closed down and turned into a coffee shop. Um, and right. then, but then like, <sighs> 
there's other parts in the movie where the young the girl is on her phone googling stuff so it is uh, like, yeah. anyway i don't want to get hung up on that because i really enjoyed the movie uh so obviously it wasn't enough to take take me out of it there is one other thing that did bother me a little bit okay which is like okay they only have a certain amount of money and that's like the whole premise is they're going the whole time with only a certain amount of money. Okay. Um, and then somehow at the end, Lily Tom's character has enough money to say, I'll just take a cab. It's like cabs cost money. How did this do like kind of yeah. flies in the face of, they cost a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. They're not cheap. Um, so I was kind of, that's, that's, that actually weirdly bothered me more than the lack of a Planned yeah. Parenthood or ty- that type of thing. But that's the thing is I feel like put those two things together and what you have is a script that's all well and good. But at the same time, it's just like there are certain screenwriting rules and that's that you can't cheat that often. And especially if something's going to take place in reality, you have to have the characters be aware to a certain extent of and it, it could even take just like a sentence, like a single sentence or something like that. Like, oh, her have her phone die or something like that. And she can't. Now she can't Google anything. Now they don't know where it's, you know, they go to the one Planned Parenthood they thought they knew of. It's not there anymore. Now where do they go? It's just little things like that. It doesn't take much. Again, it didn't bother me that much at the time. It was only in in retrospect. And you can have Lily Tomlin run out of the cab and just not pay the guy. I kind of thought that was what was going to happen, but they didn't. It didn't happen. Yeah. Um, But it's a, it's a essentially a, I I, I don't want to say road trip. It's a, it's a one of those one day movies that takes place all over Los Angeles. A lot of, a lot of uh, valley um, mm-hmm. shooting. I there was a Vineland, there was Chandler, yeah. oh, some nice. streets I recognized. Um, but it's a very episodic thing. They go from person to person. Yeah. Let me read you off this cast. All right. Okay. Louis Tomlin's in it. Yeah. Marsha Gay Harden. All right. Judy Greer. Okay. Laverne Cox from Orange Is the New Black. Okay. Uh, the late Elizabeth Pena. Yeah. Um, Nat Wolf. John Cho. Oh, okay. Yeah. And Sam Elliott. Hey, all right. How is that for a cast, right? It's a good cast. It's uh, eclectic. It's yeah. an eclectic cast, I'll say that. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, it sounds... I mean, it sounds... I say it sounds good, but that... It, it sounds shitty of me, and I'm sure it's funny no matter what. Uh, with a cast that good, uh, I feel like it would probably be pretty good no matter what. But at the same time, like... You know, it doesn't take much, and to just be like take one more pass at it and i guarantee you you will be able to think of solutions to these these very basic screenwriting problems yeah um but uh okay and that is available that is out now no it's not out now for a couple weeks a couple weeks okay but that one i can talk about okay so my last movie okay david i have a new favorite movie of the year Oh, okay. All right. So it's not Pawn Sacrifice. Or maybe it is. Or maybe it is. You're holding your opinion on that. Yes. That sentence I just said, is it retroactive or is it anticipatory? Um, David, this movie is visually visually gorgeous. Okay. It has more style than most movies I've seen this year. It has a lot of heart. It has a certain degree of cultural relevance. It has characters that I relate to and just I don't know just adore it reminds me of past movies that I've really enjoyed sometimes I think overtly other times not (laughs) and this movie is called (laughs) Paddington oh yeah 
Uh, I've heard nothing but great things. Holy shit. Was I not ready for this? <laughs> like I'd heard it was good. And I assumed, what was his name? Paul King, Peter King. Um, is that the director? Yeah. Okay. I know him from mighty Boosh, right? Mighty Boosh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Paul King. And, uh, yeah. So I, I mean, I had heard good things about it. I remember when I first saw the trailer for it, man, this movie was terribly mismarketed. It needed to be marketed as babe as babe or babe pig in the city or something like that. Uh, by way of Wes Anderson, that's what it needed to, how it needed to be marketed. Like, how would you say it was marketed? Uh, Mr. Popper's penguins or whatever. Okay. Like just that kind of horseshit, like, Oh, the shenanigans and there is shenanigans, but it's like really clever and occasionally Rube Goldbergian. Um, but it just has such a, such a wonderful sense of style and a, a very active camera that, uh, that, is at times grotesque, uh, at other times really beautiful, but always moving, always, uh, vibrant. And v- uh, there's a vitality to the film that I feel like is hard to find. Usually, um, I found myself getting choked up without the film being overly modeling. Mm. Um, and it, it's just such a, a I th- honestly, like I watched it this afternoon because I felt bad that I didn't have more movies to talk about uh, for the <laughs> movie journal. So I was like, oh, you know what? I've, I've been meaning to watch Paddington. Uh, I'll just throw, I'll watch that. So I, I, I ordered it on Amazon and then in the other room in, uh, from Jen's office, um, she, she said, uh, Tyler, did you rent Paddington? Like, because uh, an alert popped up, and uh, and I said yes. She's like, "You're cute," and so so everything about it was just like, "This will be a fun thing to watch and get get done and out of the way," and then I've got a movie to talk about on the journal, and from and within, I'm gonna say four minutes, I was transfixed, I was laughing, I was invested. And it was just like, and again, like there's a lot of heart to the story. There's a lot of genuine humor, but I'm, I'm telling you the filmmaking part of it is it's up. Okay. The way people talk, including me, the way people talk about Mad Max Fury road, they (laughs) should also be talking about Paddington in this way. (laughs) Like I, it's, it's, I feel like it is rare to see a director so fully invested in creating a visual, tapestry uh as with this film wow i cannot recommend it highly enough because uh, i know you like babe and i know you love you and i both love babe pig in the city yeah this is like the heir apparent to those and i like the mighty boosh yeah our, our uk listeners can stuff it because it's there do they not care for it oh mighty boosh got so big over there so quickly oh, okay that i think it became cool to be anti mighty oh, okay. boosh okay so our, our UK listeners can tell me if where I'm wrong. Okay. Which, I know the third season, like the third series they did wasn't that great, but the the radio show in the first series, they're brilliant. They can't all be winners, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, listeners, if you haven't seen it and David, if I know you haven't seen it, um, make it a priority. Okay. If anything, I'm, I'm, my one regret is that I did not see it in the theater. Cause I think it would have been a, like, I would have. I think it would have benefited from a big screen experience. 
undoubtedly it did. It's just I didn't get a chance to see it. And uh, well, man, oh man, it took me by surprise. It's your. I'm glad it's your top film of this year because it almost came out last year. It got it got delayed. I saw that. As I recall. Um. All right. Don't, uh, you, don't you have one last one? I do. I have okay. one last. Uh, it's a rewatch. I just rewatched it last night. It's. I know it's a film that you love. It's, okay. It's directed by Jim Jarmusch. Oh, yes. It's called Stranger Than Paradise. All right. And I had not seen it probably since we lived together, I think, was probably the last time I, I saw it. Really? Um, it had been a long time. Didn't, you didn't rewatch it for when we did our Jarmusch uh, uh I don't think I profile? did because I spent that time watching um, things like, uh, what's the taxi one? Um, Night on Earth. Night on Earth that yeah. I hadn't seen, but like I, I used that when we did our Jim Jarmusch profile. I used my spare time to watch the Jim Jarmusch stuff I hadn't watched. Yeah, I yeah. think I watched Permanent Vacation and Night on Earth. No, have and, you seen Mystery Train? I forget. Um, yeah, I think I've seen. I don't think there's any Jim Jarmusch films I haven't seen. I've never seen The Limits of Control. Oh, okay. Which I've heard is not that good in the. First yeah, you know, place. I mean, if you're if you're a Jim Jarmusch fan, I think it's worth seeing. As yeah, a completed. It's definitely very Jim Jarmusch, but um, yeah, it's missing some stuff. Um, but yeah, I had not seen it in a long, long time, and it's uh, it's so wonderful, and it's so like I watch. I've been watching films constantly since I was a kid, mm-hmm. right? To the and I write about movies, and we talk about movies quite a lot, actually. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I have a pretty good handle on you know when I like or dislike a movie, being able to point to why, yeah, you know. And I can, with Stranger the Paradise, point to reasons why. But there is something about Jim Jarmusch's filmmaking that seems so that seems so organic and natural that I almost can't describe why it works as well as it does. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because uh, yeah. it's a black and white film with very simple framing and camera movement. When there is camera movement, it's yeah. usually just a pan. Uh, if you know, left to right. Yeah. Um, and, and you know each scene is one shot essentially mm-hmm. um and he also does this brilliant thing of between every shot in stranger than paradise there's black it doesn't yeah. cut from shot to shot it goes black and then yeah. it comes back and it almost has the feel of watching a slideshow you yeah. know the way it like or a play which is like curtain right 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 now here it is again right and the fact it's that it's all one shot is yeah but it's great that he does it even in like the when they're like driving to Florida, there's like, mm-hmm. it's essentially a montage when they're driving to Florida. But even in that, even in those shots, yeah. like out the car window or whatever, there's black in between each, each individual shot. Uh, it's also only 89 minutes, which is a theme with this yeah. <laughs> episode, apparently. Um, oh, I should say Paddington is uh, two hours, 45 minutes. Uh, boy, <laughs> you would not expect that. <laughs> um, and then, uh, Sorry, I was distracted writing something. Um, I'm very distracted. This is what we do the movie journal first. To I know. Get me into the get it out. Get it out of your system. Yeah. Uh, but it's um, essentially three great performances. Four, mm-hmm. I would say, if you include Aunt Lottie. Why would you not? Because she's the best. I am the winner. I am the winner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's absolutely the best. And her like little f- like friendship that develops with her and Eddie is yeah. the cutest thing. Uh, <laughs> I also like that it's a movie that is largely without conflict. There's no villain in the movie. Nope. There is a part where they lose all their money. 
and it lasts about a minute and a half worth of screen time yeah. until s- someone literally hands her an envelope with thousands of dollars in it. Yeah. It's, it, it seems silly. It seems like yeah. that. Oh, we lost all the money at the dollar. What are we going to do? Oh, here's, uh, here's $5,000 for no reason. And yet what I, what I find so charming about the film, well, one of the many things is that whether they've just lost their money or they've just been handed $5,000, their lives will not change one, one iota <laughs> right. either yeah. way. Yeah. They're still going to be in these kind of depressing, uh, places, but not, but, but they don't have the good sense enough to be depressed about it. Yeah. It's not depressing because they're yeah. like, I think that's something you see about, um, Jim Jarmusch movies. I would say this one and, mystery train too because mystery train also has the japanese couple Mm -hmm. um that are in a state of transience if you will um there's a even if if you judge it by the luxury of their surroundings or 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 whatever yeah maybe it's a little depressing but there's a freedom to the characters yeah like they don't need a ton of money like when they leave New York to go to Cleveland, Eddie is like, we have $600. They spend like a week in Cleveland and they're going to go to Florida. He's like, how much money do we have? $550. <laughs> like they're clearly, they don't need that much. Yeah. Uh, and, but that's also not like a statement either. They're not like freegans or anything. Yeah, no. Um, they're like, they're just, there's just a freedom to them that comes from having a lack of necessities or, or lack of attachment and the the decision to shoot it black and white i mean i'm sure there's a financial choice there as well but um but it does make for a very interesting visual quality in the sense that when they're in cleveland they are surrounded by snow mm-hmm. and they feel they say like oh we got to get out of this come on and then they go to florida and then they're surrounded by sand and beach but the thing is, when you shoot black and white, it looks exactly the same. <laughs> right, yeah. And so there really is, no, as far as we're concerned, it looks just the same. Yeah. And I feel like that's a nice visual representation of the idea that they're, they don't change and they're not going to change. There's nothing that requires them to change. And that's actually kind of okay. Yeah. Um, it's a celebration of, I don't know what you'd call it. I know that there are people that have a major, and we talked about this in our profile episode, but like, I know there are people that have a major problem with uh, the way Jarmish approaches his characters and and their their like their coolness, but also their complete lack of coolness and their the affectation that they may have or may not. It's and I think some of it is the fact that he casts people that are just naturally that way. Um, yeah, that's like John Lurie. Like, and if you look at like. Um uh, the vampire one. What's it called? Only lovers, Only lovers left, alive. left alive. They're as cool as those characters are. They are sort of like self-consciously cool yes. because they're into certain things and they're yeah. sort of, even though they're, even though they transcend those things because they're immortal, yeah. they still take on qualities probably informed by the, the things they consume. Yeah. Willie and Eddie and Ava yeah. are not like that at all. They have nothing. They're just cool because they're cool and they don't care. Yeah. <laughs> there's nothing affected about their coolness yeah. at all. But then that's the thing is like they're cool in a way that implies that a slight cultural shift and they're the biggest dorks in the world. <laughs> right, you know what yeah. I mean? Like it, and that's it, uh, which makes, which makes them cool is the fact that they're going to be themselves no matter what. Um, 
just the idea that just the world will roll right off their back. Um, yeah. yeah, it's a it's a marvelous film and and one that I don't think I had enough love for before rewatching it for that profile episode. Um, I'm glad you liked it. Do you feel any? I mean, you like Jim Jarmusch for the most oh, part, yeah, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, is it, and you've seen all of it, all um, of his stuff. Uh, yeah, I think. Yeah, I'm pretty. What sure would you say is your favorite? I think it's probably Dead Man. Okay. Okay. Um, and there's some competition, but uh, Dead Man's probably the one I go to first. I do like Down by Law a lot. Uh, I would need to rewatch that one too, but that's good. Um, for me, it's probably that night on earth or mystery train yeah although i do i do love broken flowers a lot too and i love only lovers left alive like yeah. i think that's to a certain extent it's still too early to tell like you know, sure. things need to settle it's only been like two years or whatever but that might that might be up there for me only lover. i like I, I liked it a lot yeah um least favorite uh it's limited control oh okay and i don't i don't hate it it's just and i think i said this when we did our profile on, on Jim Jarmusch, it is lacking. One of the things that makes his like conspicuously art house movies mm-hmm. so great is that they're also hilarious. Yes. <laughs> There's funny stuff constantly. And limits of control has so few moments of like weirdness or levity in it. Do you think some of that has to do with the main character? Not that that actor is a bad actor. He's used him before, but maybe he's not no. lead, lead material, but he's got, you know, he's got John hurt and he's got, yeah. uh, I can't remember who else is in that one. Bill Murray is in it. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of people cycle through and it's just not, doesn't work. Yeah. Oh, I need to watch dead man again. Dead man. I mean, I do. I really, I, I'm sure that the, one of the only things keeping it from being in like that top tier for me is that I haven't seen it in a long time, but boy, I do think of it a lot. Yeah. I specifically think of, uh, either I forget if he says good God, I'm hit or God damn it. I'm hit. I don't remember. I think yeah, it's I good God, but I yeah. might be wrong. Good, Good God, God, I'm hit. Yeah. <laughs> Burns like hellfire. I'm going to have to shoot somebody. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, good times. Um, okay. And Christmas Glover, they're shooting the buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> and Robert Mitchum. Robert Mitchum's yeah. in that movie, which um, I think is awesome. All right. And then on to TV. Yeah. The only thing I wanted to talk about, because I'm still behind on lots of stuff. I'm very busy um, with work and also with my social life being so, you know, my social calendars being so. Oh my, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I did want to talk about the fact that I watched the season two premiere of Rick and Morty. I okay. never watched the show before, but based on having liked the panel at Comic-Con so much, mm-hmm. I watched, watched the season, season two premiere. And I think I do want to go back and watch this show now because it's, I think you would enjoy it quite a bit. I find it a bit depressing. That doesn't, yeah, that's not a deterrent to me. <laughs> Obviously, it's not for me either, but it is one of those. <laughs> it's a deterrent for me to keep uh, to keep from binge watching it. Like I can't. I'll watch maybe two episodes in a row, maybe three, like on Hulu as I was watching it. And then I realized I got to space these out. Yeah. So, um, but it's. Um, I've talked before about sometimes I feel like I have a an admiration, almost perhaps to a fault, for things that are. Um, what's the, what's the word I've used before? Uh, I can't remember what the word is they use, but it, a, a, ambitious, daring, I guess. Oh, okay. um, I don't know why I can't think of the word that I want here. Um, there is a word, and I'm trying to yeah. think of... Anyway, but uh, this season two premiere has to do with, I guess at the end of season audacity? one... Audacity? Yeah, audacity there is exactly is. what I was looking for. Um, I guess at the end of season one, they freeze time. Mm-hmm. So season two starts with time still frozen. They're still trying to fix things up. And 
when they bring start time again, things are unstable. Mm-hmm. And so if they're, if the three of them who have been around walking around while time was frozen are uncertain, yeah, then time splits. So it ends up having character issues, you know, like it's tied to character things. Yeah. Um, and the relationship between, uh, between Morty and summer. Is that, yeah. uh, the sister's name, you know, and a lot, a lot of it comes from that. And so when you haven't watched it yet, right? Uh, not season two. No. Okay. So when time splits, then it becomes a split frame where you're seeing the same thing, but not exactly the same thing happening in two frames. Like yeah. there'll be slight differences. It must've been hell in the animators because they're, yeah. because at one point it gets to where there's 64 squares on the screen. Because oh, it wow. splits so much. Uh, and so it's, yeah, it, I guess that's what I'm talking about with the, uh, the idea of audacity is it's, that this is a, you know, a a uh, cartoon sitcom essentially that yeah. is doing an episode with 64 yeah. panels it of slightly says, different. What do you think of this asshole? Yeah. Uh, but it also all ties into their emotional beats. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also provides some relief because the scenes with the parents happen in one timeline. Mm. So it'll be the split thing, but then it'll go back to just one story. Yeah. And Sarah chalk voices the mom, which I didn't know that's her. Um, I don't think I know who that is. She was the second Becky on uh, Roseanne. Oh, she was also okay. on Scrubs. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, I didn't know that. And uh, she had the line of the episode for okay. me, which is she's a vet apparently. She's okay. like a, she, but she's specifically a horse doctor. Yes, that's right. And she wants to. They hit a deer with their car, and they mm-hmm. bring it to the to the um, thing, and she's like, I to the vet, and she's like, I'm gonna, I can, I can operate on this deer. I can save it. Um, and the vet says. You know, deer uh, organs or whatever are however much, however much percentage smaller than horse uh, horse organs. And Sarah Chalk says, "Hey, why don't we save the measuring for when our dicks are out and see if we can save this horse or this deer?" <laughs> um, anyway, I, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, all right, I yeah, I haven't uh, really been catching up on much stuff myself. I'm an, I'm well, an episode behind on Hannibal. Of, okay, uh, then so am I. Yeah, I've been. Uh, going I, I watched some Hannibal. I watched that. Um, I guess the. I guess it's like a mid-season finale, even though there was no break, but where or no break in time, mm-hmm. in uh, you know, in real time, there was a yeah. three-year break. Right. So that that episode before that three-year break, holy oh, okay. shit! Yeah, holy shit! Yeah, that was nuts. Yeah, it there's was, a lot of great. there's a lot of good stuff. Like, you know, the first three episodes wind up just being so surreal and strange and then but once the plot kicks in it kicks in right yeah. really hard it kicks as hard as jack crawford which as it turns out is pretty hard yeah um <laughs> and yeah um uh, but what i what i have been doing and uh for reasons that i'm sure at this point i've teased enough that uh people can probably figure it out but i won't uh i won't say it here i'll, I'll wait for the official announcement um but um so I've been going back and watching episodes of Survivor because there are actually still seasons I haven't seen. Um, and uh, so I'll tell anybody who maybe maybe enjoys Survivor or Amazing Race or, or reality competition. Um, on Hulu Plus, if you have it, they have season one and then seasons 12 through 26. And so... And that's the thing. CBS has a streaming service, and I have no doubt that once their contract... Uh, runs out with Hulu, all those seasons are going to go away from Hulu. Okay. And so 
listeners, if you're into any of this stuff at all, go and watch uh, those seasons of Survivor. If you, email me, Tyler Battleshipretention.com, if you want to know where I think you should start as far as those seasons go. <laughs> um, but I've been watching season 15, which is Survivor China, and it's a very, very good season. I am frust- I'm surprised that I'm only now getting uh, around to it. And in many ways, it's like,